This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. that I enjoy playing this song uh, is not just because I'm a fan of baseball and used to enjoy uh, seeing Mariano Rivera and even Billy Wagner sprint to the mound uh, to make a nine-inning game, essentially an eight-inning game, because you knew once those guys were in to close the game, it was over. No need to even keep watching. But it's because for many years, it was the signal of the start of one of my favorite radio shows. And someone who is a gifted communicator, who I've gotten to know a bit uh, over the last couple of years, and who's kind enough to join me on the radio, is one of my favorite radio talk show hosts, Tom Likas, a veteran radio talk show host, and now he is killing it as a podcaster. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining me on the radio. Always fun, Frank. Uh, Tom, you are a refugee, a New York refugee who sought asylum in California, and mercifully, they're a sanctuary state. You were granted asylum there. Uh, New York is dealing with a little bit of an uptick in crime. It's the front page of uh, both of the major tabloids at least three days a week. And you just get the sense, even more than the news coverage of it, you get the sense that uh, people that live here they don't feel comfortable doing things that New Yorkers do. They don't feel comfortable riding the subway. They don't feel comfortable walking to work. As an outsider, as a guy that used to live here and as a guy that lived here when the city statistically was in much worse shape, how does New York's uh, – I don't want to call it a crime crisis because that is insulting to people that lived through the 70s and 80s. But how does the uptick in crime that New Yorkers are seeing make people who live in places like California feel about New York? Well, uh, uh, clearly, uh, people are. Uh, uh, yeah, we have our own problems with crime in Los Angeles. Let's just say that, uh, and our own issues, uh, we have had them. But uh, I grew up, as as you know, I grew up just east of the Grand Concourse, across from Taft High School, and uh, I uh, have been spending a lot of time talking to my old friends of the Bronx recently. As a matter of fact, and. Um, I must say that uh, you know when 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 I was leaving the Bronx, uh, the uh, the joke went like this: that the area code of the Bronx is nine one one. So it was already having problems at that time. This would go back to the seventy. However, um, I, I must say that uh, even growing up in New York, with the amount of crime it had back in those days, um, I I New York has never looked this dangerous to me, never. And, you know, I enjoyed New York in its best days. When I go back and watch uh, TV, I I go back and watch TV shows just because I'm nostalgic about it. Uh, Silly TV shows that just show New York in a good light, like the sitcom called That Girl, which uh, appeared in the late 60s on TV. And it has plenty of great stock footage of Manhattan when it was great. 
Also, uh, Mad Men, another show that although it wasn't filmed in New York, it used a lot of stock footage from New York back when it was great. And uh, I'm not saying New York is uniquely fallen. I'm saying that every city has its day in the sun, every one. I mean, the latest city I've seen that had its day in the sun more recently was Seattle, which is a disaster. Uh, Seattle looks so bad uh, between the uh, discarded syringes on every street and the the homeless crisis and broken windows, whatever. Uh, There is a Facebook page called uh, Seattle Looks Like, I'll say the letter S. (laughs) There is a whole page with thousands of users dedicated to showing pictures of how bad Seattle has gotten. So I'm not saying New York is uniquely bad, but the stories we get, also because of the fact that you've got uh, three tabloids, if you include Newsday, uh, so they are always going to emphasize the negative, no doubt about it. But to outsiders, it does not look like a very appealing place to visit, whether it's videos of Pizza Rat or uh, various videos inside the subway with lead paint hanging down on the 7th Avenue station uh, of the F train. Uh, <laughs> it really looks like a hellscape and not like the beautiful place where I grew up. It doesn't look anything like what I grew up in. Now, one of the things that we always hear from New Yorkers who sometimes move to Arizona, the Carolinas, sometimes Florida, and maybe less so California, is that, oh, well, you can't get it, – it's great. We love it here. We love the cost of living. We love the, the the less crime. We love this or that. But you can't get a great New York bagel or you can't get great New York pizza. What is the accuracy of that supposition? Not accurate. Those are people who don't know how to use uh, like an, a map application <laughs> or Yelp. <laughs> Maybe they're new in town and don't know how to get to the good bagel. Uh, you know, because we are not mass transit driven here. So it's not like, you know, when I lived on the Upper West Side and we had the great old place H&H Bagels at the corner of 80th and Broadway. And uh, that those are the most amazing bagels to this day that I've ever tasted. And it was very easy. You just take the you took the Broadway local from 72nd Street to 80th Street and you were there you were. There you were with these great bagels. But but L.A. doesn't work that way. You have to get in your car and drive to the bagel place. And if people are staying at a hotel downtown, for example, um, the bagel place is not going to be downtown. The bagel place is going to be on Fairfax Avenue or Pico Boulevard or various other places. There are plenty of great bagels in Los Angeles, plenty of great pizzas spectacular pizzas that in some of these online surveys or these blogs that do these uh, rundowns, many of them have read LA pizza above New York pizza, which I also found hard to believe. But in reality, the last time I was, you saw me last time I was in New York, last time I was in New York, Manhattan has been uh, uh, deluged with these 99 cent fresh pizza places, Mm. 99 cent slices. And they are terrible. Nothing like the days of original raised pizza in the village or some of the great pizza of the past. A lot of it's gone. One of the best slices in New York when I was a kid was right there at the end, Manhattan entrance to the Staten Island Ferry. That was the most amazing slice of pizza. But uh, we have great pizza in L.A. Uh, one done in a ghost kitchen called Hollywood Pies. 
and there is no there are no tables or chairs. You order on the phone like it's the uh, pandemic lockdown, and you go down and pick up your pizza. Ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely great. But I, I believe a lot of people get here and they uh, stay in a hotel and they, they don't want they don't rent a car or they don't know how to get around. And then they start complaining about things they say we don't have in L.A. We have them. You don't know how to find them. <laughs> if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Tom Likas. You could check out his podcast at premiumtom.com. Tom, you were in radio for, I guess, 40 or 50 years before making the transition to uh, podcasting. You were wildly successful. You did it all as a host of local shows that were very successful, a host of nationally syndicated shows that were very successful, AM, FM, producer, program director. You've done just about everything there is to do in the field of radio what do you, what is your take on the world of radio these days? It seems like a lot of the people that um, used to be uh, really enthusiastic about the world of talk radio, both content creators and even some listeners, some of that enthusiasm has migrated to the world of podcasting and people's favorite podcast hosts. Is that a reflection of just the content on terrestrial radio not being as good anymore? Is it a reflection of uh, the radio audience just aging out? Out and uh, the only people still having radios being older, or is it a reflection of of something else? Give me your kind of. You were doing a state of the radio address. What is the state of radio? Well, I'll put it this way: there's many formats in radio, and they all have their issues, and they all have their benefits, whatever they are. Uh, as far as talk radio is concerned, across the country, uh, the biggest problem is that it nowadays seems like uh, in order to get a job at talk radio station, I'm not looking for a job, by the way, but uh, in order to get a job, it appears you have to subscribe to a particular brand of politics. And if you don't, they don't put you on the air. Now uh, I always looked at talk radio as primarily entertainment. Now, did we talk about the news? Yes. Did we talk about politics? Yes. But the most important thing I believed I was doing is entertaining the audience. I never believed that I was getting people elected or changing laws or any of that stuff. Uh, the, the idea of it was I had people getting into cars at four in the afternoon and they get home at six thirty, and I had to hold them captive for two and a half hours by entertaining people. And nowadays you turn on the radio. I already know. One look at Twitter and I know what today's talk radio talking <laughs> points are. So I don't bother tuning in like I used to. When I was a kid, New York City had amazing talk radio. And I grew up, I can name them all, Barry Farber, Barry Gray, Sandy Lesberg, Long John Nebel, Brad Crandall. New York had one great talk show after another. And it's part of what inspired me to go into talk radio. So uh, I, I heard great shows. And now I hear you know, everybody's saying the same thing. Uh, and, and, you know, again, it doesn't matter what your politics are. you got to admit that any radio station, uh, in, you know, in L.A., we got a station like this. You've got the uh, Jewish conservative followed by the gay conservative followed by the black conservative. And every host totally agrees with what the last guy said. Oh, no, I, I, I find it to be the most boring thing in the world. Dreadful. Dreadful. Somebody said to me today, I was listening to talk radio in San Diego today. Do you know what they were talking about? I said, let me guess. 
Biden should have been in Ohio and shouldn't have been in Ukraine today. Uh, and that that was, I was right. And the person who said this to me was amazed that I knew that. <laughs> but it's not hard to know the number one topic on talk radio on any day of the week. Now, what I used to love when I worked in the business was that you had hosts of various kinds with various opinions. And many times the hosts would argue with each other. And it was so good. And now every host agrees with every other host. Every show agrees with what the last show said. Uh, that doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. So, you know, radio stations are, even though they're licensed by the government, they're private businesses. Everybody should do what they want to do, what they think will make the money. That's great. But as a listener, as a consumer, not interested. Where do you think that degree of political mimicry came from? The the, the kind of the convention. I, I can, Tell I, me. Frank Moran, I'm going to give you a scoop. I was there the moment that happened, the moment that happened. And where that was, I was at the National Association of Broadcasters Convention in 1994 in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, there I was on a stage. It looked like the Rolling Stones. It was lit up like a rock and roll show. And I came out all in black leather and boots and screaming and yelling and whatever. And uh, during a break in the show, an attendee of that convention came to me and told me about a seminar that had been held by a consultant now deceased named Ed Shane. And Ed Shane came into a room at the NAB convention, and he told radio station program directors that because Rush Limbaugh was so successful, every host on your station should be doing that. And... Uh, you know, a lot of these people at the convention, they took that seriously. And I started noticing a distinct change in the tone of talk radio, where suddenly they, you know, they liked Rush and they wanted six Rushes a day. That's what they wanted. Now, I don't agree with a lot of Rush Limbaugh's politics, but, you know, I appreciated him as a radio personality. But did I want to hear his opinion all the time? Do I think Rush was successful because he was conservative? I don't. Rush was successful because he knew the broadcasting business inside out. And he knew he had been a disc jockey in Pittsburgh and he worked uh, talk radio in markets like Sacramento. And um, he, he learned the, the mechanics. He knew the formatics of talk radio. And it was great the way he took some of those disc jockey skills and applied them to talk radio. I thought that was fantastic. But the problem came when Ed Shane told program directors you need Russ Limbaugh on 24 hours a day. And uh, the, my interest level in talk radio stations in general began to decline. I was one of the biggest P1s, one of the biggest fans of talk radio, listening all the time. Had it on in the car, had it on to go to sleep, had it on on vacation, had it on all the time. And there's a lot of people like me who don't listen anymore. Now, some people have found other things to listen to, podcasting. NPR and other stuff. But NPR is not entertaining either. What was interesting was having a variety of hosts and a variety of opinions and uh, not the people coming on. Hi, this is Larry Elder. Did you hear what Rush Limbaugh said today? I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> with everything. That's what talk radio has turned into now. Uh, That's what it is. Now, I, I know, uh, you know, just listening to your 
recantation of all these Rush imitators that uh, all these program directors that thought the key to Rush's success was his politics, not his ability to entertain, his ability to tell a story, his ability to do all these other things. You know, I guess to some extent, the same thing can be said of of Howard Stern, where you had a lot of FM stations switching to these sort of hot talk formats. And and you've been on some of these stations over the years. And, you know, you have a situation where I think a lot of those program directors thought the key to Howard Stern's success was just put people on the radio that will talk about sex and women and have naked women in the studio. When obviously anybody that listens to Howard Stern knows there's a lot more to his show than that. It doesn't seem like the Howard Stern imitator format has had the durability and the and the shelf life that the Rush imitating format has been. Would you agree yeah, with that? I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you something, Frank. Uh, you have to look at the numbers. WABC is a juggernaut, and it's a rare exception to what we're talking about here. There's no doubt about it. The numbers are great. These are numbers WABC hasn't seen since the '80s, as far as I can tell. Um, but no, um, the, the, the problem here is that um, uh, you know many of these uh, program directors um, came from questionable backgrounds. When I say questionable, I don't mean they did illegal things. I mean, were they qualified? Were they competent? Were they educated? Did they understand marketing? Did they understand numbers? Some of them do not. Uh, and with the um, FM talk stations imitating Howard Stern. Uh, yeah, just a lot of them uh, went away. But what has happened also, though, in radio is that um, you, when you look around, at some of the big call letters ha- have hardly any listeners. You know, WABC is a juggernaut, but its former sibling, KABC, has a 0.7% share of the audience. And uh, they have uh, – they, they just keep going with it. It's very reminiscent. Uh, and I don't know how you're going to feel about me saying this, but it's very reminiscent of the movie Network mm. when Howard Beale uh, was left on the air and the chairman of the board wanted him kept on the air no matter how low the ratings got. Right, because Ned Beatty, who's brilliant in that picture, uh, he, yeah. he, you know, Howard Beale was repeating a party line that Ned Beatty wanted out there to his viewers. Right. And I believe that that's exactly what's happened in talk radio. The the reason the Rush imitators survived and the Howard Stern imitators don't survive is because the Rush imitators uh, are representing political points of view that the corporations who own many of these stations want to get out there. So how does the, how does KABC no longer affiliated with WABC. How does KABC stay on the air with a point seven? I don't know how they do it. Right. And yeah. there's many other stations. We have another station here, one that is the sister station of the station you used to work for. And that station rarely has a 1% share of the audience. There are three or four stations on in Los Angeles who all have less than 1% of the audience, and they are the Rush imitators. The fact they're still on the air, does that imply that the shows are good or that they're popular? No, it's that many of these radio stations want to get these points of view out or the mm. companies that don't want to get these points of view out or the advertisers who might be a particular university pushing Christian education or might be a particular uh, pillow company. They want to get these opinions out and they don't care how low the ratings are. 
Uh, Tom, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to continue with Tom Likas in just a moment. We'll try and take uh, some of your calls if you like. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, joined by Tom Likas for the hour. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank moreno my guest for the hour is legendary radio talk show host and podcaster tom Likas. you can check him out now at uh, premiumtom.com and that's premiumtom.com you know tom listening to you kind of go down memory lane and mention a lot of those great radio voices from the past i'm reminded of a fellow that was on wnbc briefly in the late 70s but is not best known for being a radio talk show host, even though he did a fair amount of radio guesting over the course of the last few decades, and that's Richard Belzer. I'm curious, were you a fan of Richard Belzer? Did you get to know him at all? What was your take on Richard Belzer's work? I I met Richard Belzer uh, on a couple of occasions. Most recently was uh, 10 years ago at the opening of the Broadway show uh, called Talk Radio. And uh, I was invited by uh, Eric Bogosian, the guy who wrote talk radio and I went to a party and I met Richard there and I had met him before at Catch a Rising Star back in the 70s. Uh, always enjoyed his work. Uh, I don't have a bad word to say about him and he was well loved by everybody in show business that I've heard from or read about. Um, I, I But I Catch a Rising Star was his main um, hangout in the 70s. I used to go there a lot and it was... Uh, just spectacular when he would take the stage. Really great. And I remember him in movies like Groove Tube. He was in Groove Tube. He was in uh, some other things as well. And he, by the way, yeah, he was not only a guest. He was he did the morning show at WNBC with Scotty Brink. Uh, after the original replacement for Imus did work out, um, they went to a show with uh, it called Brink and Belzer. The, the show so was kind of short-lived, show. wasn't it? No, it was primarily because, number one, uh, Richard, uh, apparently, as I recall, uh, because he worked into cl- in clubs until late at night, he would frequently not get to work until 730 <laughs> in the morning. I see. That'll do it. That'll do it. That didn't help. And then also, Imus came back from Cleveland uh, after his, uh, you know, he was sent sent out for a while. You you know, that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people who are, you know, who don't work in radio have an appreciation for is how I don't want to use the term grueling because at the end of the day, we're not working in coal mines, but how demanding the hours can be. I remember when Mike Huckabee tried to do a nationally syndicated radio show and so did Fred Thompson. Both of them said essentially the same thing, that they were leaving doing this two or three hour a day radio show essentially because it was too hard. And then they were running for president either before or after that. And I'm thinking to myself, 
talk radio is too hard for these guys, but they want to be they want to be the person who gets to control where we send nuclear weapons. I, I, I guess maybe maybe you know if you don't have a love of radio, those hours uh, take their toll on you a lot more than they do if you're like us and you grew up listening and loving the medium. Well, you know, in reality, it's not because these guys were dopes. Um, in fact, I, I met both of them, and uh, uh, it's just that their thing is doing politics. Uh, I, I wouldn't be a very good politician. You know why? Because I have no filter. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. I that, would say anything to anyone at any time. Uh, that um, is uh, – that's for sure. A bunch of people queuing up to uh, – talk to you but i do have to ask when i was so much of what you did on the radio at least once a week you would do like us 101 where you would give yeah. your advice to help uh, men get women with minimal expense and minimal commitment and a, a lot of time tested methods as part of like us 101 still hold up uh Today, uh, when I was promoting that I was having you on today, one female listener to this show wrote to me and she said, oh, I can't believe you're having Tom Likas on. He, I hate that time. Well, what a misogynist. Well, he, the, the, the words <laughs> that she said was, he doesn't respect women. So uh, let me ask you that, Tom. Are, are you someone that doesn't respect women? Respecting or not respecting women. I, I, I'm not in the business of you know, when, I, when I'm uh, in the position of being the professor, I, I'm not looking for respect or to give respect. I'm just looking for sex, which is what many men are out looking for. Um, it's not about respect. It's not about conversation. It's not about intelligence. It's about sex. How easy is it going to be to get? And how do I get you out of my house after we're done? <laughs> I guess uh, I, I think that l- the listener may have a point there. I and mean, we may chalk that up to to a no. But um, the other thing that you became so well known for is you would do Money Mondays where people would call in yeah. and ask financial advice. You would point out that you were someone that yeah. essentially came from poverty and uh, became a, a self-made millionaire. And a lot of the advice that you would give was uh, very conventional, uh, sometimes in the mode of like a Dave Ramsey, not uh, putting a lot of money on your credit card and Things like that. Other times it was very creative and very, very insightful for folks and very different from what they'd hear on conventional financial uh, advice programs. I'm curious, now that we're seeing inflation doing what it's doing and the prices of everything are skyrocketing, you go buy a carton of eggs, it's like you're buying caviar. Does the inflation issue that we're dealing with now, does that have any bearing on the kind of financial advice that you would give people who are looking to do as you did, become a millionaire? No, on the contrary, I I would double down on my advice, uh, especially in times of inflation or recession. Um, You know, the fact is people waste money on so many things. Uh, I don't, for example, I, I was watching a local newscast and they were at a gas station asking people about the high price of gasoline. And here's some guy driving an F-350. Oh, man, I got to pay 120 bucks to fill this tank. And buddy, I don't see any uh, two-by-fours or any uh, gardening equipment in that pickup truck. You're just driving it around for appearances. Why do people own trucks like this? Unless they are actually doing work and they need that space to put, put lumber in or something, why do they do it? And they waste money on DoorDash and Uber Eats and Starbucks, 
we can go down the list. So if people are looking for places to cut, there are many places they could be cutting right now, and they should. And as far as eggs are concerned, uh, sure, eggs are expensive. You don't have to eat eggs. There are many ways to get protein that are more economical, peanut butter, all kinds of nuts. Um, there are cuts of meat that are not outrageously expensive. So, uh, you know, I see these people complaining all the time, but they waste money hand over fist. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel sorry for many of the people complaining about the economy because there are things they could cut. They just don't. Yeah, I don't get the sense. I've never gotten the sense from you that you feel sorry for many people. <laughs> Personally. Well, well <laughs> because most people got themselves into trouble. And even after they do, they, they, they don't want any advice. They don't want to hear what anyone has to say about getting out of trouble. I don't feel sorry for those people. Uh, the people argue with me all the time. For example, I'm always recommending that people have not three, not six, but a 12-month emergency fund, liquid cash. And uh, here, people were arguing with me about this. And, and, and when that pandemic uh, lockdown came along, uh, the people who had a 12-month emergency fund, they were in a lot better shape than the people who didn't. Mm. People don't like to save. They don't like to wait. They want to get their boat today or their expensive car today. They, they will go out and sign these outrageous 72-month loans to lease cars. And people waste money like there's no tomorrow. Uh, Anytime something is outrageously priced, I stop buying it. <laughs> I don't need anything that badly. Bunch of people eager to chat with you. Uh, Alex in Brooklyn, you're on with Tom Likas. Hello. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Hi, Tom. Um, Hi. By the way, Tom, if if you would be a spokesperson for President Biden, the way you you spoke about the egg situation and the gasoline and saying that the people that are complaining are responsible because they shouldn't be getting eggs, there would be a, a lot of you know, backlash from that kind of comment of Karine Jean-Pierre would have said that kind of thing. But uh, I, I want to I want to well, understand. You because... I am not. a. Before you start down that road, uh, don't assume I'm a Democrat and that I have oh, any I particular that. politics that, that you would even know that just so you know. Yeah, I got the point that you're making. It's 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 100. It makes it makes sense. But yep. the thing is, yep. people are complaining that it could have not been like this if it's for some of the policies that wouldn't have been put in place. But I wanted to ask you about the radio situation and the point that you were making as for why people are stopping to listen to talk radio. I see this phenomenon is, is also going on with, with television shows, because I could predict yeah. to you and Fox News with the majority of the programs there, what they're going to be talking about. Um, I go, you know, I'll listen to an entire primetime show on Fox and I'll maybe walk away with one new piece of information, at, but, but I still find it entertaining. And I listen to a lot of talk radio shows that are political talk shows. So, I, you know, I think the, the reason why people are stopping to listen to talk radio, I think it's more about the fact that people just don't have radios in their home anymore. And uh, no, that's no, why no, it's declining. That, no, it's the other way around. What came first, the chicken or the eggs? We have eggs. Um, people don't have radios because they don't like the programming anymore. They don't enjoy listening to it anymore. And whether it's, yeah, people, uh, you know, uh, but there's a lot of gadgets like cameras that people aren't having anymore like they used to because you have it on your phone. Now you have podcasts on the phone. You have live streams. Right. You don't think that that's a factor? Well, well but that's the thing, Alex, is people can still listen on the stream of, and they're not, I think, is the, the point that you're making, right? 
I mean, look, the, the WABC has, has recently, the ratings have jumped dramatically. People found radios to listen to WABC, didn't they? Right, right. And, and, and you know, the, the people that are listening on the stream, those count towards the ratings the, uh, uh, the same oh. way. Uh, 800-848-9222. Donovan is in Vancouver, Canada. Hello, Donovan. Hi, Frank, and hello, Tom, as we hello. used to say on the show. Hello. Um, I've spoken with you before on this show, and um, I first discovered your show uh, when I was in Portland in uh, 1998, and within the, the space of one week, you were talking about um, your relationship with your father on one day and then doing an interview with Dan Ingram uh, a few days later, which I was so impressed with. I, I can pretty much say what week that was in 1998. That's correct. I did an entire day with Dan Ingram on the air, my, my idol. It was a remote broadcast, I believe. You are doing a barbecue at the end of June. And yeah, you, you love radio. You call it a remote broadcast, and technically it was. But in reality, it was in the parking lot of the studio. <laughs> so I was just outside That's the great. door from where I normally work. And uh, Dan Ingram, who uh, is WABC royalty as far as I'm concerned, Dan Ingram uh, was auditioning to do the morning show at KRS 101 here in Los Angeles. And... Uh, he was doing that show all that week, and then in the afternoon he came and sat with me for a day. And, um, you know, obviously he was spectacular. Another reason I got into the radio business in the first place. Well, and that's the question I was going to ask you, because you love radio so much, as do I. Um, is there a reason you never got into, say, programming or mentoring younger talent to get it, or did no, you? No, I did. I was program director in Albany, and I was program director in Phoenix. Yes, I was program director. Are there young talent out there right now? Like, are there people, aside from podcasts, which there's so many of, um, who can make it in talk radio? Or are we, have we lost that era? First of all, let's look at demographics. The people who believe in the politics of talk radio are 50 and over. And the people who, uh, young people who you're counting on to be the new blood, that's not their politics. So you're never going to have young talent ready to, you know, come up and compete with uh, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> there are not a lot of young people who have that political point of view. It's unfortunate because it's not about the – well, I never saw it as a politics. It was all about the entertainment, and I, I understood oh, you I, for what the I, show I you did. from my show that, that that was the emphasis, was entertainment. But now they give you a litmus test to see uh, – I'm going to – I'm gonna if I haven't said this on Frank's show, I'm going to say it now, and it's probably going to be heard uh, the other end of the universe. But I left uh, – I did my last radio show several years ago on KABC here in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I was doing a one-off, a one-day appearance. I hadn't been on in years, and I decided to take them up on the offer. I decided to do the show. So they were going to simulcast a live stream that I was doing on the Internet, and they did. And so I'm sitting in my studio in Burbank ready to go, and right before I cracked the mic open, I got a call from the program director, a gentleman named Drew Hayes. And Drew Hayes got on the phone and said to me, whatever you do, don't attack Trump. Now, I got to tell you, nobody tells me what my opinion is or is. <laughs> nobody. 
And so I went on and I attacked Trump four hours and then I never came back to radio ever. <laughs> and one very quick, and I'll let you uh, hang up, but I'll, one quick thing before you go. There was a, a story of a buddy of mine, Bill Courage, who was the morning guy on Mojo Radio for the short-lived time you were in Vancouver. And he never forgets yeah. the fact that you, um, there was some battle between you and Jeff Edwards when you were doing afternoons on KFI, and it was more of yes. a publicity stunt. It had to do with Cat Stevens, and maybe you could expand upon that. if you. Well, and Jeff Edwards never was participated in a publicity stunt. I did. And what my publicity thought was to try to edit it down to the simplest form. Uh, when uh, Salman Rushdie, the author of the book, The Satanic Verses, was hit with a, uh, the Ayatollah launched a fatwa against Salman Rushdie. And then Cat Stevens, who is a, a Muslim, came out and said he supported that fatwa. So I came on the air, and I decided that people should bring down their Cat Stevens tapes and records and CDs, and that I would drive over them with a steamroll. <laughs> and I, I did. And Jeff Edwards didn't like that. I can so imagine. Uh, thank it you. It sounds like a radio stunt, but I was the only one pulling the stunt. Jeff was serious. That, that's hysterical. That's hysterical. I, I, that's an aspect of like his lore that I was unfamiliar with. Hey, uh, I know. Oh, yeah. uh, let me ask you about this. You know, speaking of both New York and California, one of the things that we have seen a lot of news coverage of recently is the exodus from both of those states. Yeah. We've seen people leaving yeah. New York and California, and some people say it's the cost of living. Some people say it's, uh, in the case of New York, the weather. That was Andrew Cuomo's big thing. People are leaving because of the weather. Some people say it's the taxes. Some people say it's the political climate. W- why? Um, what's your take on the population exodus from, uh, from New York and California? My, my take on it is, why do people care? What is this, a contest? To see who has the most people? Here in Los Angeles, people are always talk about moving to Dallas or Austin or Phoenix. And my response is, good, go. More room for me on the freeway. <laughs> I, I would like to know if anybody listening out there was on the New Jersey Turnpike or the Long Island Expressway in the last few hours, if anyone would like to see less cars on the highway, you bet they would. But they all want to be number one in population. It's so important. What happened? I mean, less than eight million. Oh my God! What? What's the benefit to you if there's eight million people or seven point six million? Who cares? Uh, I can't and argue with that. About one. LA too, same deal. Uh, Tom, let me ask you about this because you've occasionally been the the target of. Uh, of of different groups and different people because of comments that you've made that may not be PC. Somebody that I just love as a broadcaster, I don't know your opinion of him, but I'm a big fan, in part because he doesn't seem to give a hoot about political correctness at all. He just gives his take on whatever he's talking about regardless. And that's Terry Bradshaw, right? So Terry Bradshaw, not only a, a legendary quarterback, but one of the most entertaining analysts in all of football today, so we just had the Super Bowl. I know you watched. I watched. 113 million people watched. Record numbers for the Super Bowl. And uh, Terry Bradshaw is getting. Uh, he's getting some heat for some comments he made about Andy Reid, which people said were fat shaming. This is what Bradshaw said. Let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle over here. <laughs> 
That was the totality of his fat shaming. He didn't ask him to go on a diet. He didn't ask. He didn't say, uh, "What you know? What are you eating for breakfast?" Furniture. That was the totality of what he said. And yet, there are no shortage of. There are fifty-seven thousand nine hundred. Google results and articles that mention Terry Bradshaw fat shaming Andy Reid. Give me your take on this. Uh, I, I, uh, there's no bad publicity, uh, you know, unless you're Army Hammer. There's no bad publicity, and uh, they did not fire. Uh, the, uh, I'm spacing the Ter- name. Uh, Terry Bradshaw. They did not yeah. fire him. Terry Bradshaw. They did not fire him. They're not going to fire him. Um. Yeah, sure. People are going to make comments on Twitter about everything everybody says. And I know it as well as anyone. But um, as uh, if I were his agent, uh, I would probably recommend he not say things like that on a show with 115 million viewers. Mm-hmm. But still, I don't mind that he said it. I think it's fine. And I also think people will make a big stink about it. But Terry Bradshaw will be at that mic in August when they start again. No doubt about it. I know you follow sports uh, fairly closely, and now these days you root for the L.A. teams despite being from New York. By the way, why do you do that? A lot of people do carry their old-school allegiances with them when they go to a new city. You embraced your new city's teams. Well, first of all, Los Angeles did not have a team for 21 years. And um, I hate to tell you, but New York City hasn't had a team since the 80s. Yeah, (laughs) Jersey has a team. They are too, but New York has the Buffalo Bills. That's about it. And, uh, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, I, I, I just don't worry about this stuff. You know, I, don't, I, I like when uh, announcers are uh, controversial. I like when they do outrageous things. But I also know that the advertisers and what have you are very nervous. They're always very nervous. And so you have to you have to think about that when you're in front of 115 million people. But do I object to what Terry Bradshaw said? No, not the, at all. In terms of uh, one of the things that we're seeing now, in part because the NFL is one of the few TV broadcasts that's actually doing well and showing growth year over year, as the rest of uh, television is being replaced by the streaming app du jour is we're seeing the rise of these alternative football leagues. Last weekend was the first weekend of the XFL 3.0 owned by The Rock. We're seeing the USFL, which I think Fox is a partner in, they're coming back. Even arena football, uh, which has had a, a tough time getting a foothold in this country, they're coming back. Do you see any of these sort of alternative football leagues having long-term sustainability? Nope. USFL already failed once. XFL already failed after one season in the 90s. No. Uh, The networks have less scripted programming, more hours to fill, streaming channels and podcast-type content, and they need to fill time. So there'll be all these leagues created, but who's going to want to watch the – you know, the Tallahassee uh, turnips playing the uh, Oklahoma oil suckers. <laughs> not me. Not me. And we all know it's like not even B-grade football. It's C or D-grade football. It's terrible. I know so when it happens. Uh, yeah. leagues, the first weekend, there's a lot of tuning in, a lot of curiosity, and then everybody goes away. 
you don't see it being maybe like a, a minor league that could be a, uh, a get nope. enough of a following to uh, sustain nope. people in between NFL seasons. Nope. The, no, I don't. Last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about Meghan Markle. She had just launched her podcast. And I think in the promo to her podcast, she had you in there as an example of one of the American voices in media that was degrading women and downgrading women. Well, uh, Prince Harry uh, just did an interview with 60 Minutes and got a seven-figure book deal where he talks about the most intimate details of his family life, his his dispute with his brother, his sex life, and uh, made clear in this uh, a whole media tour that he did as part of the book promotion that he doesn't want anything to do with the public eye or the spotlight. Now, obviously, that's totally ridiculous, and uh, that was satirized on the uh, television program South Park last week. And uh, right. Meghan Markle evidently is not pleased at the way that she was portrayed on South Park. What was your your boo hoo hoo? You know, Meghan Markle has hated me for a long time. Uh, I'll send you which you can use at will if you like. I'll send you a, a tape that came from the London paper, The Sun, where she was attacking me back when she was 19 years old. She hated me back then. And she uh, she doesn't like anyone criticizing her. And I think South Park made great points. Uh, obviously, they changed the names of uh, Harry and Meghan so they won't get sued. But they, they were obviously talking about Harry and Meghan. And, yeah, they... On the one hand, they they are constantly, constantly, constantly going on with Oprah or wherever and talking about themselves, and and then they want the public to give them privacy. And South Park caught that, and I thought it was great. Yeah, it's it's difficult to see how anybody can take their complaints about lack of privacy uh, too seriously. We're going to continue with uh, Tom Likas in a moment. We're going to get to as many of your calls as we can, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. By the way, if you want to hear more from Tom, you could subscribe to his podcast at premiumtom.com. That's premiumtom.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Tonight is my great pleasure to be joined this hour by the incomparable, inimitable Tom Likas. Uh, There is no greater radio talent alive, and uh, these days he reserves his spoken word talents for the world of podcasting. You can check out his podcast at uh, premiumtom.com. A whole bunch of people have uh, have questions for you, Tom. We'll try and squeeze in as many as we can here. Uh, Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hey, Frank. Hey, Tom. Uh, two things hey. I want to say is the co- the comment that um, 
uh, Terry Bradshaw made. It sounded like a bit of ribbing of a friend. Yeah. Um, but stop the drama, grow pair, you know what I mean? You know? And the other thing is, uh, <laughs> for you, Tom, I got a question. Yeah, like you like that. I yeah. know you did. Uh, listen, did. Uh, nice hearing from you. I, I like your, your no BS, your no apology attitude. That's pretty cool, you know? Uh, but how do you stay disciplined on spending, you know? Uh, lately, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been wasting money like crazy and putting myself into a huge hole. Now I'm looking for a ladder to get out. What's your secret? Well, my secret is I don't waste money on stupid things that don't add to my life in any way, and that includes leaving the lights on in a room after I leave. I'm a multi, a self-made multimillionaire, but I will tell you, I like to save money like anybody else. So these people, I go to their house, they've got. TVs on in three rooms, and they've got lights on everywhere. Um, there's all kinds of ways we can cut back. Um, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to pick a dime up off the sidewalk. In fact, I picked one up off the sidewalk the other day. I picked up a nickel this morning. There, there you go. go. Hopefully Uncle Sam doesn't hear about uh, the fortune that either of you have come into in the last 24 hours. That's 800-848-9222. Sky is in Texas. Hello, Sky. Hi, I'm, I used to listen to Tom every day, Flash Friday, and I love the commercials where at the end of the commercial, you would talk about, we want to put our meat in your mouth. So I listened to him, and it was great. <laughs> yeah. I would listen, and I, and I kept listening, hoping that commercial would come on, because the commercial sounds so real, and then at the end, it said, we want to put our, our meat in your mouth. So keep it up. And now I know about the podcast. I'm going to start listening to it. Yeah, premiumtom.com, Sky. Uh, Tom, I'm wondering if you could, we only have about a minute or two left here, but if you could speak to the effort that you would put into in doing live reads. I've seen a lot of radio stations kind of encourage their talent to downplay the live reads to give them only 60 seconds don't go anything over and i think that's a very poor approach i'm curious uh as to how you approach the world of live reads well um you know live reads were my bread and butter reading live commercials my bread and butter um i do think there are i had limits though to what i would accept in my contract uh for example I refused to do any commercials for anything that made a medical claim because I didn't want to get sued. You know, to say that a certain diet pill or meal plan is going to, you're going to lose 22 pounds in a month, or to say that uh, a baldness remedy is, is safe and effective. I, I, I stayed away from those. And as a result, I stayed away from lawsuits my whole career. There was pressure on me to do it, but I, I didn't. But live spots are critical. And I, in fact, I think it's part of uh, what makes a radio station sound great is when you have great live commercials. Well, I, I'm with you on that. Igor, oh, no, we're not going to have time. Igor, we'll get you on with Tom next time that uh, next time that he's on. Tom, it has been a delight. Uh, the hour just flies by whenever you're kind enough to join me on the radio. And I hope we can do this again soon. It's a lot of fun being on with you, Frank. I enjoy it, and I enjoyed all the callers, and uh, it's just a pleasure. Uh, check them out, premiumtom.com, and for all time's sake, thank you, uh, Blow Me Up Tom. Nice. Uh, you can check out blowmeuptom.com as well. A ton of great content on there. Hey, um, speaking of women, speaking of celebrities, speaking of controversies, Have you followed this Tiger Woods controversy 
this tampon prank. Are you up on this? Well, uh, yeah, I am. Well, we'll tell you about it in uh, just a minute. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. Until next hour, keep asking questions.